You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Our scripture this morning as, um, what is what you heard read earlier, Ephesians 5.21 through 6.9. And it is referred to as the Christian household, wives and husbands, children and parents, masters and slaves. And we can't necessarily relate to the indentured servitude of a slave and master relationship, just like all of us aren't wives and husbands, but we all have people that we are responsible to inside and outside of our family relationships. And we've all probably had experienced going on a church retreat or a mission trip and having what you might call the mountaintop high, a great spiritual and community experience, right? You leave feeling so loved and refreshed and you're convinced you're going to carry this feeling with you through the rest of your life, if not just the week ahead. You notice, wow, I can be really kind and generous to people if I just had this spiritual high every day. But at least for me, it doesn't take long for that feeling to kind of slip away. You think about your schedule and the household chores or homework or the work, what work's going to look like when you get back tomorrow morning. It brings the mood down. You start to get a little irritated. It's not long before you kick the dog and bite your sister or vice versa. I kind of see the book of Ephesians in a similar way. Up to chapter 5, the writer, who we're told is Paul, has given us all the material we need for a spiritual high. Inspiring, gorgeous, theological language, offering us a depth of understanding of who Jesus is for the world. Our minds can't even just grasp it. It's just... We sense a movement of God, reading about our inheritance, immeasurable power, oneness in Christ. This is getting better and better. What great things does Paul have for us around the corner? We feel like we've reached a new level of glory. Bring it on. Yeah, what's next, Paul? Be subject to one another. Here's some details about living in your family and your work relationships. What? Paul is definitely bringing us back down to earth after kind of a spiritual high. We've reached the how we are to live section um, of what Paul's communicating. And compared to what came before, it might be a bit of a letdown. But as someone who has a hard time being anything but practical, there's actually some amazing stuff in what Paul communicates. What George, or Georgie, pointed out last week as we looked at the beginning of chapter 5, is that Paul wants us to be sure we know our ability to live as Christians doesn't come from ourselves, from doing a better Christian life so you can be a better Christian. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit transforming us into who God created us to be. Ephesians is focused not on do to be, but be to do. The gospel truth, what it means to follow Jesus is to be transformed. And that will change what you do. And what we're looking at today, Paul refuses to individualize that be to do. 
He refuses to put us in charge of our faith. And thinking about it, that's probably a good thing. He insists that we are members of one another and subject to one another. This passage is all about our relationships as a church, as a family. If you're looking for it all throughout the New Testament, there is family language. There's brother, sister, mother, father, all over the New Testament. And that's how we're supposed to understand how we are connected to one another. In chapter 5, starting at verse 22 that we are looking at today, through the end of the chapter, the metaphor Paul uses to explain Christ's relationship to the church is one of marriage. Again, it's a family relationship. We have connection as a family. As Ariana shared um, just a few moments ago about the blood water mission, she mentioned that her faith was stronger and the rock's faith is stronger. That as a community, as a family, they were stronger together. So Paul is taking it to the kitchen, to the bedroom, to our school desks, to our workplaces, to the tiny nuances of our everyday life, and above all, our relationships. It makes sense. We have a relational God. I'll admit, at first glance, especially after the beautiful language that precedes chapter 5, these verses can be quite off-putting. Telling wives, submit to your husbands, commanding children to obey, talking about slaves being happy to be slaves. Ugh. How do we read this in 2016? Well, Paul kicks off this new understanding in verse 21. This is an important verse. It influences everything that comes after it. Sets the tone. And there's a reason he starts here. Before we put people into categories and talk about how they relate, we must know this above all things. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Both parts of that sentence are pretty countercultural. When you put them together, they're revolutionary. What does it mean to be subject? Or as some translations say, to um, submit, submission. It means simply entering into relationship with another person, sharing strengths and weaknesses, not imposing ourselves. And it does not mean being a doormat. If we are subject to one another, the relationship is mutual. The other is also sharing their strengths and weaknesses. Now, perhaps it's not fair to speak for everyone, but... Americans aren't really used to this. I mean, we are raised in an aggressively competitive culture. We're forced to measure ourselves against one another in everything. Education, athletics, salary, social media likes, fantasy football teams, our crafts on our Pinterest boards. I mean, who can actually get their cupcake to look like the picture? No one. But you feel like you're supposed to because performance is everything. I think we would all agree competitive skills, they're easier to come by than submission skills. And that's probably why Paul starts where he does. And then the second half of the verse is also countercultural, out of reverence for Christ. Again, I would think we would agree the tone of American culture is irreverent about everything, really. Paul actually uses the word phobos here in Greek, the word fear, out of fear of Christ. What does fear have to do with it? 
The concept in scripture of fear is difficult because we associate fear with running away or terror. But if we live with fear of God, we live our lives focused not on ourselves, but in awe of a God who is holy and sacred, yet condescends to be with us in Jesus. If I have fear of Christ, I am not overwhelmed by the fact that I am a fallen sinner cowering away in fear. I am overwhelmed by the fact that I am forgiven by a Savior. That's the difference between fearful of anxiety and fearful of love. Think of it this way. What happens when you're afraid of something? I grew up in a house where it was common practice to jump out of a closet or a dark room to make each other scream. I don't know why, but that's just how we entertained ourselves. And somehow I'm pretty well adjusted. Let's say it's night. You're home alone and you hear a loud, unfamiliar noise in the other room. What happens to your mind and your body? Your heart starts racing. The adrenaline starts pumping. Your muscles tense. You become aware. You become hyper aware of everything going on around you. My senses are up a thousand times. I swear I can hear like a dog and see like a cat. I could flip a car if I needed to. The incredibly bionic Janie. When we are fearful of something, two things happen. You are hyper aware of what's going on in the world around you and all your senses are tuned in. And you realize you are not in control. When Paul tells us to fear Christ, he's telling us to pay attention to Christ's presence within each other. In fact, be hyper aware of Christ's presence. Fear keeps our mind open, right? If we're hyper aware, we can be, we can see God's beauty. We can see God's goodness. We can see God's mystery when we might otherwise completely miss it, especially in other people. And it reminds us we are not in control, even of our own faith. Reverence for Christ. That's how we will be aware of the presence of God in relationship. Our God has stooped to be among us. And awareness of that is the only way that I can truly approach another person in humility and stoop before them as well. What Paul is doing with this passage is replacing culturally defined roles with Christ-defined roles. Every aspect of our family and work relationships is redefined in relation to Christ rather than the expectations or the understanding we have of the culture that we grew up in. The repeated phrase, what Paul says over and over again in this passage, is in the Lord, as to the Lord, 11 times. Paul knows we can only understand our role in relationships by comparing it to Christ. And comparing any relationship to Christ will reshape it by the primacy of love. Love can be seen in Jesus' life of submission. He totally reversed the contemporary notion of greatness, of hierarchy. Leadership is found in becoming the servant of all. Power is discovered in being subject to all. And then there's his most radical servanthood and submission of his death on the cross. 
Jesus had a cross death, but he also lived a cross life in submission to all human beings. He shattered the customs of the day, living a cross life by healing lepers. He lived a cross life by spending time with women and children. He lived a cross life by telling us to turn the other cheek, pray for those who persecute you. He lived a cross life by washing the disciples' feet. The cross life is a life of voluntarily being subject to one another, freely accepted servanthood. When Paul is calling us, calling Christians to live this way, he is doing it because he wants us to live like Jesus. Now that brings us to the actual relationships Paul lists in this chapter and the questions many of us have as we come to this passage 2,000 years later. Now this first century into which Paul is writing this letter was all about hierarchies. The Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and ways of thinking or the isms like Stoicism and Gnosticism, they all influenced cultural practice and thought in the Roman Empire. And one of the things that that train of thought did was categorize and ranked everything. Virtues, levels of reality, species, types of government, and human beings themselves. It was like the buzzfeed of the first century. They were obsessed with lists, just like the clickbait internet of today. You're familiar with this phenomenon, yeah? It's called the listicle. It's a combination of a list and an article, ranking something. Top 10 best places to take a selfie, songs about heartbreak, hamburgers for vegans. You think it, there's a listicle that ranks it. Some of the most ridiculous ones I've seen recently 18 cats who are beyond pumped for Taylor Swift's new album. Uh, yes, please. Click. There are even listicles of listicles. Six BuzzFeed listicles that will save your life. I can just imagine a first century listicle. Top 10 best red carpet togas. And you won't believe who Caesar brought as his date. As I'm sure you would imagine, in these first century rankings, wives, children, slaves, not that high on the list. In fact, for all intents and purposes, they were all property, maybe even before they were considered human beings. And at first glance, when we read this passage, it's easy to think that Paul's just kind of getting in on this hierarchy thing. In 522, wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. In verse 6-1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And in verse 6-5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. But on closer examination, what Paul is doing is actually quite subversive. It's downright revolutionary. In all these relationships, who does he address first? The one who is lower in the relationship. Wives, children, slaves. He doesn't address the husband's parents and masters until he's given instructions to the subject. Paul is giving agency. He's giving a choice to submit to people who had none. People who were actually considered property. He's telling them first. 
Being subject to another is your choice, but I'm giving you the opportunity to choose to be a subject because of the way Jesus lived his life. Not because of the particular circumstances into which you were born. Paul made decision makers out of those who were forbidden to make decisions. And he told them to make the decisions they do because of Jesus. The next revolutionary thing Paul does is he addresses the husbands, parents, and masters and tells them to do the very same thing. 525, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. 6-4, and fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. 6-9, master, do the same to them. Treat your slave as Christ treats you. Talk about flipping things on their head. Such a thought was incredible for first century society. See them as human beings. Love them as Christ loves you because of the way Jesus lived. Unfortunately, submission has been horribly misconstrued and abused, even in the church. But Paul is not telling the lowly, not only telling the lowly to submit, he's addressing all Christians. Remember that first verse, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be subject to one another means husbands as well as wives, parents as well as children, masters as well as slaves. Now there are of course limits to be subject to one another. It can be complicated because human relationships are complicated. Paul only gives the most basic of instructions because there aren't blanket statements you can make about relating to one another. Except one. And that is the love of Christ. As in all things, we are deeply dependent on the Holy Spirit. With our thoughts and the intents of our hearts, the decision-making we cannot make without reverence for Christ. The love and submission that exists in a marriage is how we understand Christ loves us, his people. That like Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 29, Christ nourishes and tenderly cares for in the way a husband nourishes and tenderly cares for his wife. The love in a parent-child relationship is how we understand God raises us up as his children. So that as Paul says in chapter 6, verse 3, it may be well with us. The relationship that exists between a slave and a master or as one who works for another or is responsible to another is one of obedience as unto God. And Paul writes in chapter 6, verse 5, not out of threat, but of joyful service. We have a choice to submit or not. But the choice of submission is really a choice of freedom. Freedom to no longer be obsessed with getting our own way all the time. I can tell you from personal experience, being right all the time, it's exhausting. (laughs) The obsession to demand that things go exactly how we desire them to, that we always get what we want, that is the greatest, one of the greatest bondages of our lives. When we are subject to others out of reverence for Christ, we are at last free. A new glorious freedom through which we can value other people. 
We can give up our own rights for the good of others. We can finally give and receive love without condition or price. Freedom to live the cross life of Jesus out of reverence for him who died across death. Subject to all so that we might know the true posture of love. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are beyond grateful for stooping down to us so that heaven might meet earth in relationship and that you allowed yourself to not only die on the cross, but to be an example for us on how to live a life of love. We pray for humility. We pray for understanding. We pray for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know when and how we can submit to one another, to know the freedom that you have given us to love unconditionally without price. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.